I'm Minka, and you're listening to The Sand Space. We are the first South African climbing podcast, we think. And we're super excited to talk to South African climbers about climbing and also some of the tough stuff. Stick around. We are committed to releasing an episode on the last Wednesday of every month and then possibly a special edition in between. End your month on a high note with us. We are really proud of what the Sense Space has been doing, and as predicted, it's growing. To give you a brief update, since I forget that not everyone has Instagram. First, the Local Business Boost, where the Sense Space promotes local businesses from the climbing periphery. Like in this episode, we hear from Flourish Strength Foods. We have had a phenomenal time engaging with you and the brands that you pour your heart and soul into. Second, we sold our first ad space. Thanks to Good Beta for supporting us. At the inception of any brand, you're investing in the people and not just the product. Thank you for believing in us. Third, we recently reached a huge milestone. 1,000 listens. Damn, that's cool. And for you, 150 dedicated listeners that tune in for each and every episode. We see you. We thank you. Please keep coming back. You are our solid senders. Lastly, the Send Space has joined forces with some excited climbers to bring you the MCSA at large, a dedicated committee acting on some great initiatives. Keep an ear out for news of the Boven Open Weekend in October. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter for more updates like this, blogs from fellow climbers, and a monthly podcast recommendation from yours truly. On to this episode. In tribute to Women's Month, and on listener request, we sit down with Jenny Cummins. Get ready to hear about parenthood and climbing, body image, and self-worth as a barrier to entry. Okay, senders, real talk. We are about to bond. Here, I open up. I let you into my heart, my fears, and some of my insecurities. But mostly, this episode is about celebrating what it is to be a woman within climbing. And it turns out, we laugh a lot. We have a goal for this episode. Within two weeks of its release, our goal is to have 300 plays. While you're listening, right now, please share this with just one other person. Okay, that's enough for now. Here's the episode. Good day, everybody. (laughs) Hi, Sanders. I'm sitting here with Jenny Cummins in my living room once more. Today is the 22nd of July, 2021. We have gotten so much feedback from all of you about the last three episodes, and you've all told me that I'm too formal. (laughs) So today we're trying things a little bit differently, and thank you for all of your feedback. Please carry on sharing with us today they are not they aren't really questions we're just going to chat there's some amazing things that I want to chat to Jenny about I'm quite excited hello Jenny and welcome hi Minka nice to be here thank you um how are you this morning it's very very cold I think this is probably the coldest day we've had so far so it's lovely to be in your warm inviting lounge chatting <laughs> we buried, both yeah buried under a blanket we're both cuddling under blankets it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about about you let's start with you who are you and what do you do do you want the long version or <laughs> let's go with the long version i'm lucky enough to not fall under a single label so i would call myself a mother a wife 
a occupational therapist, a climber, an adventurer, a gardener, and many other labels. I've been lucky enough to do a great deal in my life. I have had a very, very full, very busy life. Um, at the moment, I am happily married to a wonderful man called Jeff. I have two delightful daughters that still surprise me somewhat. I never envisioned being a mom and enjoying it so much. I'm working as an OT, specializing in hands uh, and loving that. Um, so I get to work with a lot of climbers and their injured hands. And on the other side of the spectrum, but in the same field, musicians, because they also need excellent hand function. And I love that. That's what I'm doing professionally. In between, believe it or not, selling wheelchairs and mobility aids. Twist. <laughs> yes. Well, a corona twist. Okay. So I was uh, uh, had two practices as an occupational therapist and corona came and that was the end of that. And like so many of us, I had to reinvent myself. And one of the ways I reinvented was mobility aids and wheelchairs. Uh, because I feel very strongly that everybody deserves a good quality of life. And for a lot of people, that means a mobility aid. It meshes very nicely with my background as well and my professional experience. Um, also, on the other side, which is not wheelchairs, is hand therapy, which is I really, really enjoy. So interesting. And the great thing about injured hands is they generally attach to interesting people. <laughs> And no one can say that climbers are a boring bunch. Absolutely. Coming back to the wheelchairs, that's that's really interesting. I, did, I didn't know about that. Have you looked into mobility and climbing? In what sense? Like paraclimbing. The Paralympics were just on now, or the yes. Paragames were on now, mm. and how we can make climbing more accessible to people. It's fantastic, but it, I don't feel in this country, in fact, in this continent, that we're even close. Yeah, Overseas, uh, particularly in Europe and the States, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Mm -hmm. There is incredible, inspiring stuff happening, but we are so far behind that, realistically, I haven't even addressed it. Hopefully, it's something to come with the growing community. Mm -hmm. It is uh, I have been privileged enough to take disabled people into the cliffs. I remember one particular incident. We took a guy who had, was a above-the-knee amputation and um, with a horrible back injury as well. And we put him on an abseil and we didn't realize that his prosthesis is much, much lighter than a normal leg. And as he went over the edge, he inverted. Oh, my God. <laughs> down <laughs> and then he, he kept his head and I mean fortunately we had all the safety stuff and he finished the abseil upside down oh my goodness <laughs> you learn as you go absolutely has he come back has he done that again he hasn't with us but he is a very adventurous man he's done a lot of stuff yeah amazing mm. sure what an interesting time we're living in <laughs> yes <laughs> when did you start climbing when I'd finished studying, interesting enough, so I never really climbed as a student. I did a lot of paddling and extreme traveling as a student. And uh, I then worked at Baraguanas and I met Jeffrey. 
uh, on a hike, actually, in the Drakensberg, which was quite interesting because we got clagged in for a whole day. And he set up an abseil. And by the end of the weekend, I was in love with climbing and Jeffrey. So he introduced me to climbing and it was awesome. And in those days, there was a different culture. Um, we were either young professionals or students. Nobody had more than five rands to rub together. I remember we climbed a lot at Northcliffe. Okay. Like we would often climb Friday afternoons into the evenings and we would have like two harnesses and eight people. And we would just rotate the harness. It was like, put in the harness, climb, get out the harness, pass it to the next person. Put in the harness, climb, get out the harness, pass it to the next person. So we had <laughs> one rope, two harnesses, one belay device, and maybe two carabiners. And that was it. And we made it work. I remember belaying off slings. Um, belaying off slings? Yeah. Take me through this, please. <laughs> so if you take a long sling yeah. and you put it on you like a nappy. Yeah. You can belay off that. It's not comfortable, but it works and it's safe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did worse things. Maybe I shouldn't tell you about them. You definitely should. This is the place to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was safe. Mm. Um, I, th I think we, we did things like that. It certainly wasn't comfortable, mm. but we never compromised safety. Mm. Um, and, and we never had any incidents or, or feelings of being unsafe. I laugh when I speak about this because the other thing that we did is at Northcliffe, someone had moved a giant rock as a table and it projected away from the cliff. So you could put a sling around that, attach that to a belay device and belay directly off the rock. Sure. Yeah. And we laugh about that because I, I know that people would go, what now? But in those days, that's what we did. We didn't have the harnesses enough for everyone to go around. Um, it was safe. Mm. And that's how we got in as much climbing as we got in. Yeah. Amazing. And nowadays, what does your climbing look like? I have a proper harness. <laughs> <laughs> If a super comfy harness. More than two carabiners. <laughs> you know what? With, with getting older, you get a bit more money and you can actually afford a harness for everybody. So there's a story here in that I climbed and I climbed hard in my younger adulthood. Uh, and with a lot of different people, a lot of different places, a lot of different climbing, I can pretty much tick off that I've pretty much done every type of climbing there is. And then Jeffrey and I got married and we climbed and we climbed and we climbed and we climbed. And then one day we had kids, much to our surprise and joy. And then I remember very clearly when my oldest was little, she was still a baby, we were climbing at Wellington's Dome and it was awesome. And Wellington's Dome is pretty freaky because there is no such thing as handholds and footholds. It's friction climbing and it's big, but it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. And I was doing fine. I was doing fine. And I got quite high up. And then suddenly something inside me said, mothers of small children don't get to do this. A very, very strong, very base feeling of this is irresponsible to my small children. And I actually walked away from climbing for 11 years. I had a second child in that time. Uh, I didn't 
<laughs> I didn't move into doing nothing. In that time, I did a lot of natural horsemanship and I did a lot of stuff with horses, uh, which was really, really awesome, but I didn't climb. And then it was only when my kids were bigger and they were no longer babies and no longer so dependent on me that it slowly came back, this feeling that I could climb again. But with that came changes because now it's no longer about climbing for me or climbing with my husband. It's now about climbing as a family. So the one thing about being self-employed is I do get the privilege of scheduling my own time. So I am able to say this is my climbing time and climb as an individual. But a lot of my climbing is done family orientated. So it's changed, but it's awesome. So in my younger years, I was quite competitive. I pushed hard. I took risks. I did big stuff. Um, big trips, big wars, big mountains. Can you give our listeners maybe an example of one of the, the big things? <laughs> I've been so privileged. So I've done quite a lot of high altitude mountaineering uh, in the Alps and in the Cordillera Blanca. Um, I've done some of the big wars, uh, Bloberg. Uh, Bloberg is amazing. People totally underestimate what Bloberg is and how incredible it is right there. Um, so, and pushed the grades quite hard. Uh, did climbing tours, climbing trips through Europe of literally going, shall we go here? Shall we go here? Doing all sorts of climbing. Oh, that sounds yeah. like a dream. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was. Um, it worked as an occupational therapist in those days, uh, South African trained. We are better uh, trained and more experienced than our European and American counterparts to a large extent, or we were in those days. So uh, allied medicals, African allied medicals were very sought after. So what I could do is I could literally find the highest paying job work for four to six weeks and then if I traveled cheaply I could travel four to six eight weeks then I would come back to the UK where the language was the easiest find the next highest paying job work for a couple of weeks and then travel amazing and what was Jeff doing in this time oh uh, <laughs> he was back home so he was doing the more conservative, regular stuff while I was swanning around the world. But we weren't together. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we got married much later after all of this. Yeah. Amazing. So I climbed with a lot of different people from a lot of different nationalities, um, learned a lot, um, had some epics, none of them too serious. And one day looked up in Scotland and realized I desperately needed to come home. And then I came home. And that's been such a good decision. I want to hear about one of the epics. Only one. I'll take them all. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, which epic? I, I have a memory of being on a moraine in the Cordillera Blanca, and I cannot even name the mountain. My partner and I were the only people on the mountain. It was incredibly, incredibly isolated. We were seven days in. We were both battling with altitude to a certain extent. 
and we are crossing this incredibly difficult moraine, which is just a boulder field of just frozen rocks and loose scree and just, it was horrible and really horrible to move over. And it's very, very steep and it's just going down onto a glacier. So we're literally looking down onto a glacier and seeing the crevasses and we're above this uh, this glacier, this loose shit. And my partner passes out, just passes out, fortunately a couple of meters away from me and he starts sliding down this moraine towards this this glacier and it's steep. And I remember I somehow made it across all those loose rocks and I jumped on him and I stopped him. And I have that memory of sitting high up in a mountain with an unconscious man going, what do I do now? Uh, he fortunately regained consciousness after a while and we staggered off and we built a sort of tent platform and I stuck him in there and I fed him lots of warm soup and hydration and he was fine. And we went on to bag the peak the next day. But that incredible lonely feeling of sitting in this beautiful place going, I'm not strong enough to carry him out of here. If he doesn't wake up, I don't know what to do. And what is the ethic in that circumstance? Do you leave him there? Do you... What, what do you do? I would have done if yeah. he had not regained consciousness. Yeah. I would have put the tent up around him to the best of my ability, dragged him into the tent, put him into a sleeping bag, made sure that he had access to water, which at those that altitude and those temperatures means putting the water bottle inside the sleeping bag with him and left and actually climbed down by myself to get help. In the Cordillera Blanca, rescue means a donkey. That's what it means. The Cordillera Blanca is a mountain range in Peru that's part of the larger Andes range. It is vast, extending for 200 kilometers, which makes mountain rescue pretty tricky. Have you read a book called Touching the Void? Mm -mm. You haven't read Touching the Void? I haven't, no. You've got to read Touching the Void. Okay. They also made a very, very good movie of it, but read the book first. And that gives you a very good insight into rescue, but like just how badly wrong it can go and how amazing people can be. And that Joe Simpson, wow, is, read the book. Just read the book. Cool. It's on my Christmas list. (laughs) (laughs) Have you stopped doing, so would you say that you were taking a few risks? Absolutely. Yeah. This is where you get really cheesy and say life's only worth it if you take risks. That a safe and sheltered environment, life is not worth it. Um, and it is true to a certain extent. You do look around and you do see people that are risk adverse. And that's great for them. But I can't do that. But you've lived. You've really lived. The first thing you did when you sat down, I have had a full life. I have had a full life. I've had an awesome life. Do you think that you would have been able to say that if you, if it went the other way? If you were afraid of risk? I think you need to be true to yourself. I was in a place with the constitution and the support and the resources to take risks that I felt comfortable with taking. They paid off for me. But that's not to say it will work for everyone. Mm. When you and Jeff started climbing together... What were your some of your big goals or big achievements that the two of you did? Jeff and I never climbed at a high standard because our climbing career together was quite fragmented. So we started climbing together when we were both pretty much beginners and 
it's all very well and fine to talk about taking risks, but we never took unnecessary risks or very big risks. So when we did go big with our climbing, whether it was with Jeff or with another partner, I never, okay, I lie, I seldom felt that this was beyond me. Risky, yes, but out of my capability, seldom. So Jeff and I climbed together as beginners where we did the standard beginner stuff. And then there were many, many years when we went together and I climbed with a lot of other people. And then we came back together. Uh, I started my climbing career as a trad climber, which is a story in itself because, hold on to your seats, Mm -hmm. I think back to this. Okay, we both had harnesses. This was with another partner, a man called Dylan Morgan, who was fabulous to climb with. What an awesome, awesome partner. So we did both have harnesses, but I think our first joint trad rack was seven nuts, two cams, and in those days they were what were called rigid friends, not flexi friends. The stems were rigid. Okay. And I think like four bongs. Four what? Bongs. What is that? Hexes. Oh. <laughs> those those yes, big yeah. ones. Yeah. <laughs> and probably six slings and probably ten beaners that was it yeah and we went trail climbing and that's what we had and we made it work (laughs) so where did you start trail climbing with the lynn michalisberg what people don't realize is what a gem we are sitting on in joburg we have got access to world-class climbing areas. Yes, Boven and all of those. But the Michalisberg is astounding. Absolutely. It is beautiful beyond beautiful. It has got the most fabulous rocks. It's just a, what a wonderful place. And I know Captonians are like, oh, we've got the mountain. I'm like, dudes, so do we. And frankly, ours is prettier. <laughs> Why do you think people don't go into the cliffs? I've done a little bit of climbing there, and I I agree with you. I love it. Mm. It's a different kind of climbing. It's really interesting. It's stunning. I've gotten a bit lost there. It's adventurous. Mm. You know, Uh, why aren't people going there? It's a very good question. It's close. The approach isn't that hard. No. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. What an experience. We have noticed, Jeff and I, that the cliffs now are fabulous. So we were actually in Tunkwani on Sunday, and there were five climbing parties, and that's fabulous. But for years, we were going to the cliffs and be the only people, Mm. and I don't know why. We were there on Saturday. Yes. Oh, wow. We just missed each other. (laughs) I wish I I knew you were going. We left a nut in there. (laughs) We forgot a nut. Oh, Well, no. we didn't forget it. It got yes. stuck. Oh, uh, and yes. Okay. Um, we're going to go fetch it this weekend. What time? I'm not going to say that because in case we don't go <laughs> fetch it. <laughs> it's pretty easy, so anyone could do it. <laughs> That's no. the fabulous thing about Tumkwani, mm. is it got really, really easy, yes. really, really hard, and they're all fabulous. Mm. Mm. Yeah, when we were there, there was a hiking party and one other climbing party mm. that we saw. Mm. And in this time when we're not really traveling, that's great. So do you think the numbers towards Tonkwani are increasing? Hugely. Yeah. And one thing lockdown has done is brought people out. I do think, however, in terms of trad climbing, 
going into the mountains, you need a mentor. Hmm. You need a trad dad or a man of the mountains or woman of the mountains to actually take you out. Uh, you need to serve an apprenticeship as a trad climber. I understand why you say that and how beneficial it would be. But practically, how do you get someone to devote so much time to you as a rookie? That's exactly the problem. So Jeff and I have a value of taking people into the mountain. And we have mentored, I suppose, quite a few people. And it's been awesome. Sharing the mountains with someone else is just, it makes them extra special to you. But it's hard because there's only so many trad dads and trad moms and mountain men and mountain women um, out there. And I think that's why maybe there are less numbers. There's a big difference between sports climbing and trad climbing or even just accessing the mountains. Sports climbing, you could probably learn off YouTube and be just fine. Uh, trad climbing, mo moving into the bigger mountains, you've got to be safe. And it's no longer a formula that you clip here. You, you know, for example, the formula of cleaning a, a sports route. It's a formula. The only thing that changes is the size of the bolts or the chains. When you trad climbing or high altitude or mountaineering, there are so many variables. It's no longer about formula. You've got to know your basics and you've got to be, you've got to be solid and you've got to be safe. I was surprised at how much math is involved when you start judging a trad anchor, for example, and where the direction of pull is and does that make it less solid and mm. altogether does it make a, a proper anchor and would you trust to fall on this anchor if it's only 50% or the, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of maths and different things that you have to consider that I was quite surprised about. It's actually hugely technical. It really, really is. And that's part of the challenge of it. And nothing is a fail like looking down and seeing your trad protection hanging on the rope and no longer in the rock. It happened to me on Saturday. <laughs> but that's part of learning, I guess. It's like instant feedback. <laughs> it's also very interesting. It comes down to who taught you. So each trad leader will have a slightly different style. There's a guy that he will run out 10 meters, get to a rail and stick in three, four solid pieces and then run out six meters and then stick in four solid pieces and then run out 12 meters and then starts. Mm. Um, other people will like want you to put protection in every, you know, three or so meters, even if the protection is dodgy. I was taught if in doubt, run it out. And that has been one of the most useful things because I feel that you cannot hang around trying to get in a iffy piece of pro. You're getting scared. You're getting tired. Use that energy to climb to a place where you can get a good piece of pro in. If in doubt, run it out. My hands are sweating just thinking about that. Welcome to trad climbing. <laughs> A, a, a iffy piece of pro doesn't count. All it does is it takes your energy to put it in there. And you're wasting gear. And you're wasting gear. On a recent trad venture, stranded without a nut pick, 
Menka and I were forced to leave a black diamond number seven in Tumkwani's crack. It was MCS gear, and we were pretty worried about retrieving it before someone else claimed it as booty. Have you ever been in this situation? Luckily, there's a platform for this. Goodbeta.co.za is a new rock climbing community site. It has a great forum where you can get in touch with fellow climbers to give you a hand, give you a catch, or give you money in exchange for your old gear. It also features regular blogs, events, local news, and our personal favorite, a feed of the latest Zen Space episodes. Visit goodbeta.co.za, join the forum, and get sandy. Thanks, Alyssa, for the gear retrieve. You saved our butts and our nuts. This episode is actually in tribute to Women's Month. Yes. Yes. How have you experienced being a woman in this predominantly male area? It really is a very, very much men in climbing, in all ways of climbing. I love being a girl climber. I really do. Starting off with mountain men are generally amazing. I suggest you date them. I do. <laughs> I dated them all. They're fabulous. <laughs> it's a place where the differences of the sexes is both recognized, but not always a limitation. So women might not be able to carry as heavy, but they're welcome to be a trade leader. They might not be able to walk as fast, but they can walk as far. Um, then we do need to go back to the question of the belay bunny which has been the negative side of sexism in climbing. And just, yes, as you said, that w word. When you told me about bunny. this term, I was immediately insulted, and I don't even know why. I just, I, d I can't, I don't know. Why don't we talk about it? <laughs> Where did it come from? <laughs> so when I started climbing, there was a definite, definite category of girls called belay bunnies. So they were the girls who were climbers, and they were just considered more beautiful male climbers almost. And then there were the very different category of girls of belay bunnies. And generally you could tell they were a belay bunny because they had long nails and they, their nails were clean. I actually wanted to talk to you about nail care. This would have been my question there had I written a, uh, had I written a question. That would have been mine. So if I have nice, look how long my nails are. If I have nice long nails, does that mean I'm a belay bunny? No. It yeah. just means that you probably not crack climbing because yeah. crack climbing takes everything off. Okay. Yeah. I do keep my nails extra short because I mobilize people with my hands. So I can't have nails that dig into people. But you cannot have those like talon nails as a woman climber. Forget. Yeah. With nail polish. But like those long talon? No, no. Anyway, one step back. So belay bunny is a girl who would be supporting a boyfriend by learning to belay. But this is what's interesting is no matter what her natural desires were, her boyfriend very seldom expected her to climb. She was there simply to belay and possibly to look pretty. I never really worked it out. Okay. However, the belay bunnies tended to get their own back because once they married their climbing boyfriends, they grounded them. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they were... Women around, but not many climbing, were many of the women that were around more in supportive roles? No. 
No, it depends. There's no such thing as a belay bunny in trad climbing or mountaineering. Because when you go up, you go up. Yes. You all go up. You all go up. Yeah. You're a climber. You're a climber. So this would be very much the, a belay bunny is a sports in a gym too. Okay. Why do we not have a masculine equivalent like a belay buffalo, belay bear? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Amy loves it. Um, uh, I think I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. Amy's boyfriend is a wonderful belay bear. He's the best. He's huge and he's only just started climbing, but he comes with and he's the he's a great belay. Fabulous. Belay bear. I like it. And he's a brilliant pack mule. He carries in all our gear. <laughs> No, that's fabulous. This yeah. weekend when we went to Tongkwani, there was three girls climbing. The three of us were climbing and the two guys that went with, they were waiting in the close for us. They put up hammocks. They carried all our gear in, oh, nice. put up hammocks and wait for, waited for us to finish climbing. It was wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. Yeah. 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 Has the number of female climbers increased that you've seen? I think very definitely. Hmm. I think places like City Rock, which just makes climbing easier and so accessible and also change of the culture that uh, girls are no longer just belay bunnies. They actually are now encouraged to climb. I'm certainly seeing a lot more girls climbing. If you were to hazard a guess, what would you think the climbing population looks like at the moment? Men to females to male. I wonder. Men are still very much in the majority. If we look at the statistics of our listeners, that's the only mm. statistics we have. It's about a 60-40 split of males mm. to females. Mm. Interesting. And obviously we are quite female driven. Mm. So we have a female voice and the men are listening. Mm. I'm curious to do a little bit of a, uh, maybe like an investigation to see what the climbing population looks like. If any of you know a place where I can get this kind of statistics, please get into contact with us. I would love to know what our climbing population looks like. Alternatively, who wants to do a census with us? Mm. Getting into motherhood and climbing. Did it increase your fear when you're talking about being on that slab, being above your bolt? Did your fear heighten with motherhood? This was the Wellington Dome yes. experience. Yes, in that particular moment. And I know it hasn't happened to everyone, but it happened to me and I needed to follow my instinct. Mm. Having said that, when we went to Tunkwani this Sunday, I was able to take my eldest to the rock above Help Help Pool and show her where, as a six-week-old, I put her to sleep the first time that we took her into the cliff. And we laughed because at six weeks she lay in this depression and now at 14 years she could barely fit herself in sitting. <laughs> so that never changed. So in the climbing myself uh, and uh, being high, I wasn't able to do that. But taking the kids out and giving them new experiences and exposing them to different stuff. That never changed. Okay. Do you think it's possible to get through that fear? Is it a case of when you become a mom, you won't be able to do it? Or is do you think there is a way to do it? I think that was very personalized to me. Okay. Because I've spoken to other women and it never happened to them. So it was for me, as, as an individual, I needed to follow that instinct. And that was fine. 
a lot of women have children and they do not stumble. It becomes a logistical nightmare because, frankly, changing a nappy in the cliffs is a logistical super task. You can do it, but my word, you've got to have your ducks in the road. That becomes the reason why they stop climbing is it often just becomes too hard. And as a mother, also your to be that much in love with your child, it's amazing. And it's they're only that little for so short a time. I was so happy to just be in love with my child and give myself to them and just really, really milk that experience of early motherhood and this precious, beautiful, amazing baby that I never felt cheated. I was then able to do a very easy slide into endurance riding and natural horsemanship. Um, and that kind of works easier with small babies uh, because you can go and you can train on, you know, do a sort of 30K ride and still be back in time to look after the child. Um, and then Jeff and I would also swap the parenting baton. So you say you need to be home at this time and you would get in and you would hand over the parenting baton. And <laughs> Tag, you're it. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's how you do it. Yeah. If it was more accessible to parents, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. I've seen at the MCSA meets, we're missing an age gap. We're missing the parental age gap. There's a group about my age, maybe like 20s, early 30s and then a huge gap and then on the other side there's a whole bunch of climbers again going into 60s and, and older and I've, I've asked around what that age gap's about and most people are saying it's because they're taking care of children if it was more accessible for parents to come climbing and maybe either bring their children climbing or they had something to do with their children in that time would it be easier so maybe a group of five parents five or six parents one in the rotation can take the turn of looking after the children, maybe at the bottom of the crag, or even not take them with in to the cliffs at all, and then the others can go and climb, like a carpool, a carpool of climbing. Like a climbing child cave. Yes, exactly. Yes, is yes. is that I don't have children, so I don't I don't really know all the challenges and the limitations, but would that even be feasible as an idea? It would very much so. But so often when you go into the cliffs with your kids, you actually don't really want to leave them. A three-year-old in a stream in the Machalisberg is just beautiful to watch. Their absolute joy and abandonment, you're kind of like, I'm just going to sit here and watch. It's so gorgeous. Oh, it's so nice. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to a large extent, there's that. Also, mm. I think what happens is the family groups, you're self-contained. You don't need to go out with the MCSA meets. Mm. Kind of like mom, dad, kids, and maybe a couple of friends that, you know, you. I just want to shoot up the single pitch climb. Can you watch Junior for an hour? They're like, cool. Mm. But you're self-contained. You don't need to join the meets. Well, some of the family, you guys definitely are, but mm. the families that leave climbing for that time, obviously... I have another theory, and mm. I don't know if this is right, but I am seeing that children are much more wrapped in cotton wool. And uh, our society is becoming more and more, in my opinion, risk adverse. And I think a lot of people perceive taking the kids into the mountains or taking them climbing as too dangerous. Why would you be such an irresponsible parent 
and what's wrong with letting them watch Netflix? Where do I start? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, you are 100% correct. I'm not dressed warmly enough for this. I'm going to quickly get something warmer. Are you okay there? I'm good. I'm just I'm going to take a bathroom break. We interrupt your bathroom break to bring you breaking news. We have found what you've been looking for. A healthy way to have chocolate for breakfast. We recently tried the range of protein-packed flapjack mixes from Flourish Strength Foods, and we discovered the beauty of the Belgium chocolate chip. With just some egg whites, yogurt and milk, it was super easy to make. And when I say easy, I mean we made it while camping. Each serving contains 23 grams of grass-fed whey protein, a healthy way to start your day. Visit flourishstrengthfoods.com. I wish people could see the benefit of kids climbing and even really, really small kids. If you take a child and face it, it's hard. And 2020 and 2021 have been a crap time to be a kid. Really, really crap. But even before this pandemic, it was hard. It's it's harder, I'm sure, for kids to be kids now than it was when we were kids. Take a child and you point them at a wall and then all by themselves, they get to the top. Isn't that amazing? It's something they do themselves. Their parents cannot do it for them. Their teachers cannot do it for themselves. They have to face their fear, their anxieties, their insecurities. They have to believe in themselves. They have to motivate themselves. And then they get to the top. Isn't that fantastic? I wish more kids were climbing. It's so powerful. As a mother of kids who are climbing and encouraging your your girls to climb, how have you seen climbing change them? Climbing has been incredibly beneficial. Really, really amazing. My kids have both had schooling difficulties, but they are doing so well. And I think climbing has been a very important part. Because of the self-confidence, because of them being able to recognize their own ability and that they can do this. And there's also more than that. If you come at this from a therapy point of view, there is something about climbing that is incredibly beneficial for kids who are battling. It's not to say that kids who are flying in mainstream schools and doing really well won't benefit. They also can benefit. But particularly for the kid that is not flying at school, who is battling, who is not enjoying reading, who's not bringing home good marks, who is battling socially, who's the awkward, withdrawn, slightly clumsy kid. Climbing is amazing for them. It just, it takes these kids, and I've seen it over and over again, and just gives them confidence and belief in themselves and ability. It's like therapy for children on steroids. It's therapy for us all. I I could I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't climb when I was a kid. So am I. <laughs> Imagine if I I mean, my kids started climbing before they were ten. Imagine if I had started climbing before I was ten. Imagine yeah. The sky's sure. the limit. Yeah. Our good friend Mitch wants to know how have you dealt with your girl starting to lead climb? <laughs> Not very well. I can belay almost anybody on anything. I hate lead belaying my own kids. I'm a neurotic mess. 
they have been taught really well. They've been taught by Jeff. They are super safe. They are very confident. They do not mess up on the clips or anything. I can't do it. I just emotionally, I can't do it. What do you feel when you see them above their jaw? I don't. I make a good point of not watching them. Oh, do you just avoid them? <laughs> That's why I go, Mitch, um, the girls want to lead belay. Can you please come and belay? I'm going to go and do something else. <laughs> Anything else. It's it's actually very weird and mm. um it's it's not that bad. I can lead relay my kids, and uh, often the, that freedom of lead climbing, they love that. Um, so they're often asked to lead climb, and if I'm the belay, I have to suck it up. But I don't like it. I find it quite anxiety provoking. Those are my children. Those are my charges. Those are the ones that I need to look after. And although my brain goes relax, they are safe. They are capable. You've seen many people lead fall. You've caught many lead falls. Emotionally, it's, as a mother, it's hard to see your child out there above a clip, particularly if you can see that they are starting to battle. Um, also, however, it's an incredible, empowering thing for the child, and I cannot stop them. So if they need me to lead belay them, I'm there. I don't enjoy it. I find it anxiety provoking. That's my issue. I need to deal with it. Do you still lead climb? No. Strangely enough, I have reached a period in my climbing. I used to lead climb. I used to lead climb hard, trad, aid, sport. I've just reached a place where I no longer enjoy it. And being older, I also don't feel I have anything left to prove. And I have such wonderful people. They're quite happy to put a rope up for me and then I will top rope it. <laughs> You're more than welcome to tell me the question I'm about to ask is rude. How old are you now? You know when you have to think about it? I told someone the other day that I was 28. I'm not. I'm 29. I forgot my own age for a second. I got married at 29. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, there's still hope for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I have to think about it these days. I'm 46. Always a bit of a surprise to myself. You're not that old. I am. Can't you see? I'm going blue. <laughs> For the listeners, Jenny has a blue dye in her hair because she's that cool. <laughs> 46 is not that old. For, or they say 40 is the new 30. That means you're 36. What is interesting is my non-climbing friends are beginning to complain about how short their arms are and how far away their feet are. And I'm not. And I feel so privileged that at this age where a lot of People are beginning to battle with cholesterol and beginning to take, believe it or not, like blood pressure tablets. I'm still, my toes are still exactly where I left them and my arms are still as long. I can still reach my toes. I can still climb. I can still carry heavy backpacks into the mountains. I feel really, really privileged. Do you do any other kind of movement, yoga or Pilates or, or just climbing? I used to instruct aqua aerobics. That's so cool. <laughs> it, yeah, cool in many ways. I loved it. I loved it. Um, once again, drawing on my OT background 
and my understanding of physiology and and pathology, I used to specialize in aquaerobics for pathology. So people that actually had problems, I would do aquaerobics for them. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. My skin didn't. After doing several hours in the pool, day in and day out, it's the chlorine does horrible things to your skin. But I really enjoyed it. And I was always between the long distance horse riding and always hiking and the things like aqua aerobics. And then I would do the occasional um, Pilates class. I was able to keep quite fit. But climbing is different level. It's like an all round exercise for every bit of the body and the head. Absolutely. It's a full body experience. It really is. Hmm. Can I talk about something else? Yes, please. As a woman, and particularly as an older woman, I have such a heart for girls who want to climb, especially older girls. And I feel so strongly that any woman in today's society, which is so judgmental, who's prepared to put on a piece of lycra and get to the top of a wall, deserves every bit of encouragement and enablement that we can give her. And I just think it's awesome. I don't think a lot of climbers realize how intimidating it is for a woman who is a mother, and that's pretty much been her primary role, and she's put on a few kilograms, and she doesn't go to Virgin Active as much as she tells everyone she goes to Virgin Active. Um, And, you know, her toes are getting quite far away. To actually even attempt to do climbing is very intimidating. Also, this makes me giggle, (laughs) so many older women, when I ask, why don't you want to climb? They're like, have you seen the boys around here? I'm like, what do you mean? They go, have you seen the men around here? And they're going to be looking at my butt. (laughs) (laughs) What can we do? This is actually a question that Jal posed on Instagram. What can we do to drop that barrier to entry and make it more accessible and support those women? What can we do in the climbing community to help that? You know what? Climbers are incredibly open and welcoming generally. And we just need to remain open and welcoming. It's as much about the physical act of ascending a war as it is about the community and the fellowship and the friendships and the support. So when a woman, especially a mom, like thinks that she wants to climb, if she should walk into, example, City Rock or any of the other sports gyms and meets a atmosphere of openness and welcome and someone who's prepared to say, I will help you. Yeah. Also, women need to realize that climbers don't look at each other's butts all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We're too focused, busy on our own climbing. (laughs) Generally don't care. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I took my mom to Mm. the gym. She's a little bit older. She also listens to this podcast, so this is going to be interesting. I brought her to the gym, I think just after her 62nd birthday, and I could see it. She was, she was afraid. Mm. She was afraid to, to try. Yes, yes. And maybe because she was afraid to fail. But she did. She went up, like most of us on our first time, didn't get to the top. And I'm pretty sure she's blaming a shoulder injury on that one day. <laughs> But I think she enjoyed it. I doubt that she'll ever come back. That's fabulous. It's okay. It's not Mm -hmm. her thing. But just to have experienced it once. And this is another point is 
I feel strongly that women are not just small men. We climb differently. We are physically very, very different. And our emotions are very, very different. I think fear is experienced differently in women than it in, is in men. Once again, back to bringing other women into climbing, we need to realize how very, very scary height is for a lot of people. And a woman often reacts with tears, and that's okay because she's not a small man. She's a woman. And if we can accept that and go, it's okay. It is seriously scary. And I remember the first time I thought I was going to die, but I'm not. I didn't, and and I'm here. And it's okay. And it's okay. Yeah, it's already okay. Yes. How do you think fear other than tears is expressed in women? This is very interesting because there is some research behind this as far as I know. But in my opinion, fear is interpreted as a challenge for most men, but fear is interpreted as a threat to most women. And the feeling is when cavemen were out there and the men were out hunting and it got scary, they still had to bring down the mammoth and bring the food home. However, when a woman was in a scary situation. She had to look after the children. Hide. Mm. Yeah, she had to hide and, and, and protect the children. And that has been my personal experience that I can see when it gets really scary, men react by, not always, I am generalizing here, Mm-mm. but often men will push harder and they'll become quite brash and aggressive. And, and whereas women in the same kind of challenge on, say, a lead climb, she will often withdraw and pull away. And that's okay because we are different. And imagine if we were just a world of women. We need those differences. We complement each other. Mm. I find as a mixed couple of climbing, such a nice balance. Whereas the male partner might be too aggressive, taking too much risks, very often he will be balanced by the female and then together they achieve great things. We have an interesting opportunity here to get the male's opinion. We've got Matt sitting in the room. Do hey you have, everybody. Do you have something interesting to add here about the way that men experience fear? Well, uh, I don't feel like I can necessarily answer that because I do feel like it would be different for different people right Mm, absolutely i tend to be a bit more of an emotional human so i tend to work a lot in my emotional space but when i observe other guys climbing it's can be a less emotional thing but i do tend to agree with you i feel like there is maybe a challenge that men do like fear overcome it i don't know i get scared and i want to tap out fast you know yeah do you find you withdraw i can Mm -hmm. i think it's varying. I can play with both sides, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you think about your above-the-bolt experiences, what's your most common reaction? Down climb as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Get to safety, not push. Be safe, yeah. Okay. I don't think you can underestimate that, that that fear is what keeps us safe. Yeah. And I think if we can say to beginners... You need to be afraid. In Mm. fact, I will not climb with you if you are not afraid because that fear keeps you safe. Okay. How you react to that fear, I want you to react to that fear safely. I do not want to climb with someone who reacts to fear 
by going all macho on me. Not cool. Yeah. Mm. I agree that, that the fear can make me more attentive and more aware, but it can also be the other way around. If I'm overcome by it, if I'm overcome by fear and it's just blinkers, then you don't see or experience anything. Just panic. Yes. I have observed, let's say there's a female climb on the wall and you have a female at the bottom of the wall and a guy at the bottom of the wall and the two different um, realms of the word hype or support. support or yeah. And girls will be like, you know, well done. You've done your best. If you want to carry on, go for it. If you don't, you're welcome to come down. And often the guys will be like, come on, one more go. Like, do it. That's exactly it. That is such a big difference. You nailed it right there. With my climbing group, we have two guys and two girls. And often the guys always push. But I've noticed that it helps to have both. Because in some mm. situations, it's good to have, okay, validation that I can come down and validation that I can actually push through. So either way. Sometimes to push through, you need to know that you've got the space to come down. Yes. I find that that works pretty well for well me. Said. Mm. <laughs> in fear and experiencing climbing, how do we as women take care of ourselves through that? That's a big question. Mm. I think mostly by recognizing we're not small men and that we're also individual. Each one of us reacts to climbing and to fear totally differently. And self-care. You can broaden that question to how do we take care of ourselves as women in our work, in mm. our families, in broader society. And it, one little statement stands out, and that is the need to take care. I think once you recognize that you need to look after yourself, you need to value yourself, you're pretty much there. How you do it is going to be according to your values, where you are, what you have. But recognizing that you do need to look after yourself. And with climbing, it's exactly the same. It's pointless exposing yourself to such emotional trauma in climbing that you never want to do it again. And unfortunately, I've seen it. I've seen both men and women come down from a climb and go, there is no ways on earth I am ever doing that again. Mm. And you're kind of like, well, what were the people that were taking you out? What were they doing? Why did they push you so hard? Why did they not give you a safe space? And all that you've done is you've turned them against the mountains and against climbing. What's mm. the point there? On a practical level, how do we, how let's do, because it is so individual, how do you take care of yourself in climbing? Okay, let's split that into physical and emotional. Okay, so physical, it's the regular stuff. Keep fit, climb often, don't climb too much. Uh, balance your training climbing to your sending climbing. It's keeping fit for climbing. Emotionally, much more difficult. And as a woman, it gets interesting because we've got a menstrual cycle. And I'm sure you agree with me that doing a hard lead when you PMS is never a good idea. And when you've got PMS and things are just a bit big and overwhelming to then go and face a scary lead probably is not going to end out well. But then, you know, a little bit later when you hit that period in your menstrual cycle where you are brave and you have got this, then do your hard leads. To balance that climbing, doing something scary when you've got PMS and it's just all over the place, your cycle then changes. And just after menstruating, you get that incredible period of being 
strong and confident and capable and you can do it. That's a fabulous place to go and tackle your hard leads and to do your scary space. But to recognize that Mm. and I think also to be open and to be able to say to your male partner, listen, dude, it's so anti-happening today. How about some coffee? (laughs) (laughs) I've been um, going through some hormone imbalances and for almost about a year, I wasn't having a menstrual cycle. But I know and I've been engaging with content like women all around talking about being aware of their cycles and how it affects their climbing. And obviously there's something going on in my body that I'm dealing with with my doctors. And I probably menstruate once every six or seven months. And then I get some other kind of cramps. We were at bronchies. I think, no, 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 no. We were at Choss Pile, Amy and I, for an MCSA meet a couple months ago. And trying hard, climbing, such a beautiful day. Luckily, just when I had come down from the last climb, I just got those kind of cramps where you actually can't move. I was folded over my body because I was in such pain. When we walked out of the crag, I was carrying my pack, but basically squatting and leaning over and so distracted that I forgot my dog's leash. At least you didn't forget your dog. I would have if she didn't just come with. If (laughs) if she wasn't just following me, I probably would have forgotten my dog. I was in so much pain driving home. I took off my leggings and basically sat Kolchat in the car while Amy drove us home because... That's hectic. But how do you deal with that? How do you imagine now I was on a multi-pitch? Yeah. What do you do? You have to deal with it. But that's unusual. It is. And I know there's some stuff going on, and Mm. but it's my body and it's what I've got. Yeah. So how do you deal with cramps if you're going on like a seven-day or a or a epic? I never had cramps. Mm. Or more like, oh, had my weight. Oh, yeah. No, maybe that was a cramp. Maybe that was just wind. <laughs> <laughs> never an issue. Okay. You just deal with it. Mm. Um, I think... A lot of women resent their menstrual cycle because it can be icky and difficult to deal with and inconvenient and it throws your emotions all over the place. However, the consolation is only women can bear children. And um, for myself, I loved being pregnant. I cannot describe the deep contentment of a child moving inside you. I am happy to pay the price of my menstrual cycle in order to bear children. It's so worthwhile. Mm. In terms of climbing, uh, menstruation never was an issue. Just deal with it. Mm. Uh, Be open with the guys around. They generally, like I said, mountain men are awesome. They are supportive. Um, And it never was really an issue for me. Ladies out there, if you're experiencing some other kind of cramps, things that make you fold over, let me know how you deal with it. Let me know if you have a trick of the trade. I'm scared. I'm scared to go up. Imagine now you're hiking into Bloberg and that happens, especially with, in in my case, it's not regular. I don't know when it's coming. I can't plan it. It just happens. And then I want to vomit. That 
to me would be the same as hiking into Bloberg and somebody else say a guy takes a fall mm. and he really hurts himself and now he cannot walk properly and you've got to walk out with him and carry his backpack. That would be the equivalent. And if you were... No, no, you've just compared my menstrual cycle to an injury. (laughs) No, I refuse to believe that. No, but in terms of being unable to continue, that's what I mean. It's that level. Mm. And like, if you're with people... Okay, let me give you a Bloberg story. The first time I went to go and do Bloberg was with a very, very special man um, who now lives in Cape Town with his very special wife, who is a very special friend of mine, which I met at Mountain Search and Rescue. That's a whole nother story. But the point is, the two of us were off to do Bloberg. So it's a big walk-in, and uh, we scouted the route. We're all good. Uh, Both of us are Bloberg beginners, but we're good. And that night, I was opening a tin of tuna, and I slipped and I sliced that finger. You want to see the scar? Yeah, yeah, show me. Oh, my soul. Blood everywhere, I'm sure. Yeah, lots. And it's the tip of the finger. So, so it's her, for the listeners, it's her middle finger just above, what, what it, bone is this? Right the at top. the end of the finger pulp. There we go. Yeah. Um, it was quite a bad injury. It probably should have been stitched. It wasn't going to happen on Bloberg. And... The two of us looked at each other and went, oh, my word, I can't climb. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we were quite intimidated. What turned out is we actually spent that weekend scouting, mm-hmm. and which was very good because getting off Bloberg is very, very difficult. So we worked out our way through the maze and worked out how to get back to our campsite. It was well worth it. Worth it. So the next time we went to Bloberg, we were much more prepared. Mm. But um, it's exactly that. If you should injure yourself climbing or on a trip, you should be with people that go, oh, my word. Okay, listen, you can't climb. So we're going to make another plan and make this weekend worthwhile in another way. Or we're going to carry you down off this mountain. Or the worst comes to the worst, we're going to find phone mountain search and rescue mm-hmm. and ask for a helicopter. Those are the kind of people you want to be climbing with. And in my experience, those are the kind of people that I've been climbing with, because stuff happens. People get injured, people get sick, people have period pain. You deal with it. Not every trip is going to result on you conquering Bloberg before the sun goes down. That very seldom happens. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's something in me that I'm not satisfied to accept coming down from a mission because of period pain. It doesn't satisfy me. I think that there there must be an answer out there. I've heard that Neurofin works pretty well. So far, it hasn't worked for me. There must be something else. Ah, the man in the room is ready to give us some input on my menstrual cycle. Let's go, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jenny said, is your body not in the process of setting up factory and that's one of the biggest it's like it's a a life giving factory right that's one of the biggest miracles we have in this universe so to respect the process of what that body has to go through and give it the time it needs to do the thing i don't think is 
accepting defeat so much as allowing and holding space for your vessel to do the thing it needs to do, right? You're right. I need to just be like nicer with Mindful my body. of your body. My, yes. my therapist is convinced the reason that this is happening is because I went through quite a bit of trauma before and my body doesn't feel safe to reproduce. Mm. And me continuously putting it through trauma and climbing is not actually <laughs> helping the situation, <laughs> but it's helping in other ways. But you so. need to accept it because this is what you are. Mm. Let me also just, in terms of accepting your body, when I was eight months pregnant with my eldest, and I was finally beginning to show because I never showed. Eight months and I'm finally beginning to show. Did I hear that right? Yes. I never got... <laughs> I never got as far as as uh, maternity clothing. I was so disappointed. I only ever got as far as wearing Jeff's jeans <laughs> with the top button undone. Never got bigger than that. Was very disappointing. Shame. Shame, poor me. Mm. Anyway, so when I was eight months pregnant with my oldest, I was coordinating a mountain search and rescue training exercise at uh, Mountain Sanctuary Park. And all the teams were out and I'm sitting at base and I'm bored because they're all doing their stuff. And I decided at eight months pregnant, I was going to go into the cliffs by myself. So there I toddle off and literally waddling being the word, I waddled all the way into Cruel Cliff. And I arrived and the acceptance was amazing. They're like, oh, what are you doing here? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm 100% okay. They're like, if you're okay, we're okay. What do you need from us? I said, I just want one last time to be on the rock. And I remember I got a harness on and I did an abseil. And I loved that. And the guys were so supportive. I mean, and I was very pregnant and I was very waddly and I was very, very uncoordinated and clumsy. And they helped me. Mm. And it was that acceptance of this is where I was and this is what I needed. And it was such a positive experience. My theory is that we need to show one another what we need and then through that we can teach other people how to support us and you went in and you told the men this is what I need and it sounds like um, you were supported by them we shouldn't call this the same space we should call this the safe space (laughs) (laughs) no not joking Hmm? I'm currently have a most amazing group of climbing friends and we do talk about a safe space because when you're climbing and you're just that much closer to the raw edge of living, you're able to be more open and more honest, but you can only be open and honest in a safe space. It comes down to the people that you're with. And that's very important. In terms of supporting each other, maybe if we were more aware of the need for a safe space and that in climbing we are going to be in uncomfortable places where the raw emotions are closer to the surface and being able to let them out in a safe space that we can support each other and draw more people in. I completely agree and taking it one step further the reason it is called the sand space is because once you have created an opportunity for people to be honest and open is when they achieve 
because we want to be better and we want to strive and but we're afraid so if you have the opportunity in a safe space to do that you are more likely to achieve whatever it is you you want to and in climbing achievement is to send but not only on the rocks I mean, right here, what we're doing, this is important. People are going to listen to this and feel supported. Yes. I believe that. Absolutely. Mm. Coming back to your um, eight months and barely showing. Lol. <laughs> My um, sister-in-law just had a baby and she's going to have such a chuckle when she <laughs> She had a vastly different experience. <laughs> but a big thing about feeling safe is body image and mm. body image is something that you mentioned earlier with the older ladies coming in they're gonna look at my butt and yes. then what's gonna happen people are gonna look at your butt and then what nothing nothing's going to happen have you experienced body image and other negative body image or positive body image within climbing yes and no mm-hmm Climbing is a community and a lot of people, once you're in the community of climbing, they realize that it's no longer about the judgment um, and what I look like. Let's contrast that. Let's say the climbing gym versus um, the, help me out here. What's the name of an ordinary gym? (laughs) Virgin. That's it. Thank you. Let's compare a climbing gym versus virgin active um there is not a single mirror in the climbing gym other than in the bathroom and that's to check that your mask is still straight only whereas in virgin active which i have not been into for years and years and years and years and do not miss at all but from speaking to people it seems to be all about mirrors and looking at myself and looking at others and judging what they're doing and how they look compare that to a climbing gym where it's not and in the, in the climbing gym, you're supporting each other about the climbing, mm. not what you look like and not even what grade you're climbing. I have seen people get as big a round of applause for leading a 16 as I've seen other people get for leading a 26. Mm. And isn't that fabulous? And that's how it should be. But outsiders bring that expectation of judgment and do I look beautiful? from a sort of virgin active perspective into climbing. And that's natural because that's the society we live in. It's very judgmental, social media, uh, the press, it's all about being beautiful and face it's all about being thin and then superimposing that in climbing. And I'm hoping by able to be a strong climbing community and being more open and honest and brave with our emotions, we can show people that, like you said, we really don't care about the size of your butt. We just want to encourage you to get up there as Mm. far as you can and have the best positive experience that you can. I hadn't even noticed the difference in the mirrors in the climbing gym. But now that you mention it, there's, there's none. There's, there's not one. And I've recently, or not recently, probably about the last time I was in Virgin Active was about a year and a half ago. And I used to use those mirrors often, doing squats, you know, all of those yes. kinds of things. It's very interesting. There isn't even a mirror 
in the yoga studio. I know. That's exactly what I was fabulous. thinking about now. Yes. There's one mirror, by the way, it says Matt. Mm. Oh, that's probably so you can check your form. Mm. Oh, yes. Okay, but mm. I have checked people out in that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not bad judgment. <laughs> <laughs> have you experienced any kind of negative health effects of body image in climbing? There's recently a documentary that was released about eating habits and weight in climbing because weight in climbing is a huge factor. I would be able to climb a lot better if I was lighter. I'm chunky and I love my body. I threaded the needle in Tonkwani head first the other day and all Amy said was, I forget how heavy set you are. <laughs> That's so rude. She just had my butt in her face. (laughs) That is so rude. (laughs) And I was wearing leopard print leggings. It's like hawk's eye. Yeah. Oh my word. Going head first is oh. It was terrible. It was terrible. And I made it much harder than it was supposed to be, but I did it. Yeah. I did it. (laughs) So actually, it seems, I really stand to be corrected, but it Mm. seems to be, the old way of you need to be small and light in order to climb hard is not as true as we always thought it was. What is interesting is obese people are exceptionally strong because they have to carry themselves around with them all the time. So to go to the other side, thin people, light people are just not carrying so much around all the time. And there is a new feeling that it's not about your size it's not about your weight. It's about your 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 strength, actually, mm. and your uh, motivation and things like that. Um, and I think it's so much healthier. Each one of us has made a different size. And if we could just embrace that, that, that is a healthy size. So, for example, remember when Parkrun used to exist? How many of those women were certainly not slinky, they were very much round and they could wax those 5Ks. Yeah. And they were doing so much training and so much running and not dropping a kilogram. But they were super fit and super healthy. And happy. And happy. Once they'd learned to embrace it. Mm. And the same is true for climbing. Not all climbers are supposed to look like stick insects. And in fact, some of them I look at and I go... I'm not wondering if we're not seeing an explosion of eating disorders. And please just go and have a solid meal and put on a little bit more. It's going to increase your strength and your endurance so much. It's also thermal regulation. Skinny people get cold. And it's very cold at the moment. And you cannot climb well when you are freezing. And you are more prone to injuries when you are cold. Hmm. Yeah. When I started climbing about a year ago, I remember walking into that gym and I just saw really strong women. I saw, I didn't see anyone like me. I didn't see anyone that, you know, lets their flab, got the flab, things that jiggle. And I loved climbing so much that I didn't really care. So I saw it and I just moved on. But going into the gym now, I see people like me. I do. I think that it's changed. That's so awesome. Yeah. I don't know if if my view is skewed or if maybe I just had 
a terrible sample size or whatever the case may be. But I do feel like the representation as far as body image is changing. That and is, that means we're more accepted, which is great. That's so powerful because for so many women, that fear of not being thin enough mm. is actually enough to stop them trying. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So what I would like is as a female climber, for women to experience that joy of climbing and get to a stage where they go, this body with its saddlebags and the big butt and the bat wings and the wrinkles and the stretch skin and my, this imperfect, amazing body enables me to climb and I love it. And climbing can be hard. I do hard things. This body does hard things and I'm proud of it. That's where we should be. But and all. <laughs> Without bringing that little voice of self-doubt, that comparing ourselves to other women who have better bodies. But it's this body. This is the body God gave me. This is the body that enables me to climb. Isn't that amazing? I love my body. Hey, did you know that supporting the sense base on Patreon is like bouldering? Just three moves and you're done. Here's the beta. Step one, go to patreon.com and search for the sense base. Step two, choose from one of four membership levels, each with their own exclusive benefits and content. Step three, complete the sign-up and boom. Just like that, you've supported your local climbing podcast. Thank you for spotting us. If you enjoyed that podcast, send us some love by donating money or telling people about the Send Space podcast. Check out our Patreon for ad-free episodes and extra content. There's some good stuff on there. You can become a Patreon by one-off donation or regular contribution. It's totally up to you. Please get hold of us. All our info is on thesendspace.org. If you haven't noticed, we like to chat. Thanks for listening all the way until the end. We appreciate it. Don't forget your helmet and rate, review, and share this podcast.